Hello and welcome to Ararat Baptist Church's midweek service. Even though we can't meet together at the moment, we can still join together in worship, prayer and around God's Word. So we do hope you'll enjoy this short time of worship as we bring our praises to the King of Heaven. This week's service is led by the Reverend Juliette Lloyd. Hello. In our service today, we'll look at some of the images or slogans that have been very relevant lately and what that tells us about what's important or that we rely on in our lives. I wonder, where would you say that your help comes from? And that's the question that the psalmist asked in Psalm 121. And that's the subject of our first hymn today, Where Does My Help Come From?
Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 20. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you and acknowledge that so often we look up to the hills, we look around us and are overwhelmed by what's going on. And we ask you, Lord, as our creator, as the one who knows us so well, as the one who sustains us and provides for our life, we ask you, Lord, to help us to trust you. We pray, Lord, for the situations that surround us at the moment, that you will take charge, that we will allow you to take charge. We pray for those who are struggling with the effects of COVID at the moment. We pray, Lord, for those who are fighting to find some sort of solution, for the doctors and nurses and for the scientists, medical staff, and for all the ancillary staff that are working so hard, putting their own lives at risk so often for the sake of finding some solution, 
We pray, Lord, that you will enlighten them, that you will strengthen them and that you will protect them. We pray for families that are working hard to provide a safe, secure and nurturing, happy environment for children. And we pray for those young people as they try to make up the time lost in their education. Lord, help us to work within our communities to build good relationships. Help us to look out and see your other created beings, those that we need to love and care for, just as you've cared for us. We pray all these things in your great name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now we join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. These last few months have been characterised by strong images and slogans, haven't they? I mean, even the word lockdown is a powerful image. The idea of being shut in as a prisoner, your way barred. Almost as if someone is holding your arms down by your side. And I know that this has been hard for many people, especially those living alone or who particularly miss physical touch. I saw an old friend for a walk in the park the other day and found myself absent-mindedly going in for a warm hug of greeting, brought to a sharp stop, I have to say, just in time with a warning gesture. Covid itself has produced its own distressing slogan, I can't breathe. But a few weeks ago, I can't breathe took on a further distressing meaning, this time from a black man in the USA. The anguished cry for help and plea for release from a stifling oppressive stranglehold by policemen, one of whom was kneeling on George Floyd's neck as he lay face down on the ground. George died as a result. The chance to breathe freely denied him. Then came the protest marches, black and white, old and young, taking up the same words, but now others had added Black Lives Matter, because breathing came to mean more. Now it referred to the chance to go about your daily life with the same freedoms as others. And those protests have continued to this day in all parts of the globe. And that, in turn, became allied to another strong image, taking the knee, as it's called. Since then, countless occasions in a wide variety of arenas, from Parliament to Public Square, Shopping Street to Sports Stadium, have been halted for a few moments of silence as people drop to one knee, bow their heads, some also raising one hand in a salute of solidarity with those denied fair access to dignity, justice or equality because of the colour of their skin. Taking the knee to someone or something isn't new, of course. People have taken the knee before lords and kings, political, military and religious leaders for centuries. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab, who was unwilling to join in, supposing it to be a motif derived from Game of Thrones, 
perceived it as more of a sign of subordination and subjugation than emancipation and liberation. He said he would only kneel for the Queen or to propose to his wife. <laughs> I'm presuming he was not necessarily implying either subordination or subjugation to either of those, but still, that's not to say he doesn't serve someone, whether he acknowledges or even realises it at all. Mankind has always struggled to acknowledge it, even God's own people, trying to decide what's important, who's in charge, from whom it needs to seek approval, which side is up, where its centre of gravity is, the source of its true wisdom, peace and contentment. I wonder, have you ever tried listening to the story of the Israelites just as a story, or even just bits of it, or an overview? like you get from Moses or Peter on the day of Pentecost, or Stephen in Acts. Do you sometimes wonder at the strange, unwise or mean things the characters do? Perhaps it might make more sense if you considered who or what each allowed to pull their strings. Take a few of these examples. Firstly, taking the knee to independence and individualism. Well, this one says, well, that might be all right for you, but I am my own man or woman, and your rules don't apply to me. I am self-made, self-reliant, and decide my own destiny, which, of course, assumes that I have control of all parts of my environment, which, if we've learnt anything lately, I clearly don't. I'm often unteachable as well. In fact, I resent criticism and often brush off advice. For example, King Jehoshaphat of uh, Judah asks King Ahab of Israel, haven't you got a prophet of the Lord we can inquire of about the next step? And Ahab replies, well, there is one, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, only bad things. Or another example, who made you ruler and judge over us? Say the Israelites to Moses. And he's the very one who's been sent by God to be their rescuer. Yet the moment life gets awkward or their circumstances dictate that they have to wait a while, they seem quite willing to create another physical idol to put in the place of God and claim it that idol is their rescuer. Interestingly, in the New Testament, Stephen suggests the Jewish leaders have shown exactly the same attitude towards Jesus, who had also come as their rescuer. And repeatedly in the book of Judges you get the line, everybody did what was right in his own eyes, whilst the nation slides into chaos. This was not brilliant entrepreneurial individuality, but selfishly amoral actions that showed no understanding of caring community relationship or any sense of the dignity or true value of human life. Often this attitude is characterised by ingratitude too. <laughs> I mean, who would I need to be grateful to? I provided it all, didn't I? I sorted out the things that needed sorting. Sadly, even those who say they trust God often muscle in and try and manipulate things because, well, because they don't think God has quite realised all the complications in their particular case. It always has been so. The strange thing is, when we end up complicating things, why are we surprised? And more to the point, who do we then blame? Oh, it must have been somebody else's fault.
or maybe it was God's. Do we recognise any of this? Then there's taking the need to what other people think of me. Now this is a strange one because it can make you do things you didn't really ought to or it can make you or not do the things that you really ought to. You know when you first went to secondary school or college or even work, did you scan the place first and get a feel for who were the cool people? The best ones to hang around with, to get on, and what rela good relationship with them might say about you? Well, I'd imagine Saul, King Saul that is, would have had an eye to that kind of behaviour. You see, as king, he is constantly filled with these jealous rages when he perceives young David achieving a better press than him, irrespective of the fact that they're after the same goal. He rashly takes decisions that will affect his people and then doggedly sticks to them even when they're clearly unwise, ignoring advice and hurting others in the process. Why? Simply out of fear of losing face or appearing weak in public. Insecure of his authority and his ability to retain power, he'd rather grab the steering wheel than wait for the go-ahead from God. Compare that with David, his successor, who, knowing he's been appointed for, for future rule, and that he's earned a great popularity rating, and he's even been freely offered several opportunities to grasp a touch of revenge action and fast-tracking of his rise to power, doesn't take it. Now, I'm not saying that David doesn't have his own problems, but being driven by people's opinion of him are not his problem. You see, those driven by other people's opinions also fear to do the things that they ought to do in case they become unpopular. Faced with this dilemma, you have to decide whose voice you will listen to because you simply can't listen to both. Nobody can serve two masters, taught Jesus. Either he'll love the one and hate the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So you have to ask whose approval is entirely necessary and whose isn't? Whose opinion is most trustworthy and helpful? Knowing the difference between the two will affect your whole out outlook on life and your actions and probably your judgmental attitude to other people too. Whose servant, whose worker, whose ambassador, whose citizen are you? That's surely who you're answerable to. And equally, who is that other person answerable to? Certainly not you. Thirdly, taking the knee to fear or false security. Seems a strange thing to say, I guess, as we're all feeling pretty risk averse at the moment in the light of COVID. And I'm certainly not advocating living carelessly, but I am referring to an attitude of mind and heart that betrays a distinct lack of trust in a caring, compassionate, sustaining God. Are you amazed by how much of Israelite history seems to have consisted of leaders looking for alliances? most of which were not really well-matched or like-minded, almost as if they were declaring, God is good, as far as he goes. But that was not quite enough. Even Solomon, for all his wisdom, forged a multitude of relationships, shall we call them, be they wives, concubines, or alliances with leaders of other nations, all of which needed sweetening, shall we say such that consciences were dulled and many practices not in line with God's ways became acceptable in the nation. 
are we so different in our lives today? What alliances do we add to our faith just to, to make sure that we've covered all the bases? Question is, what subscriptions are these alliances asking for? What return favours? Did you realise that God was already aware of all your needs? Why do you worry? Which of you by worrying can add even an hour to his life? Look at the lilies of the field. They neither work nor spin and are here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire. But even Solomon in all his splendour was not dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? The thing about taking the knee is being as sure as possible that the one you entrust your life and future to, be it yourself, someone else or some other powerful alliance, is of good virtue. Motivated to your good and not your harm, having the will to act in your favour and the resources to achieve those purposes. But how do you know that? Moses encouraged the Israelites to look back at their life experiences thus far. The Lord your God who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his child all the way you went until you reached this place. Paul points the Colossians to Jesus Christ as the one in whom God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell. And he says we have witnesses to tell of what his character was like. And he has both the desire and the power to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his self-sacrificial love. And his cross and his resurrection prove that. That is commitment. Someone worth taking the need to. I'm put in mind of a chandelier. You know the type. Beautiful crystal cascading down in clusters from a central suspension point. Yes, we've all seen that episode of Only Fools and Horses. But I want you to imagine that this chandelier has been lassoed from all sides by ropes with wrapping hooks, tangling up the cascades and pulling it entirely out of shape. Now the cascades don't work. Each crowds the other and the light can't get between them. The crystals knock against each other and damage vulnerable edges. And the carefully designed lines of distribution of weight are disrupted such that insupportable stress is being placed on some vulnerable points, whilst others rest idly. It's not good for the chandelier. It was not made that way. It could be so much better if only... if only someone would decide which was the central point of suspension, the one sure and reliable source of connection. And being sure that that connection remained intact... They took a large pair of shears and cut each of the other ropes, freeing the cascades to fall back and take the shape for which they were designed, each crystal in relationship with each other, but none causing damage. The light now accessible to dance off those beautiful facets. Now, wouldn't that be a sight for sore eyes? Our final hymn gives an answer to that question, who is worth taking the knee to? It declares, here is love, vast as the ocean.
Try. 
voice, I'll use the words of Walking into Darkness by Sarah Bingham. I walk into the darkness, into a landscape unknown, revealed in utter darkness how little yet I own of all you promised to give me, of your ineffable light, yet I know that you are with me and clothe me with your might. As I walk into the dark, not knowing where you lead, still I pray to make my mark and meet another's need, so they can see your kindness reflected in my light and be restored from blindness as they turn from life's dark night. For to you the dark is bright as day and never a source of fear. Please help me as I walk your way to know that you are near, that I may be a light to them with a life lived full of grace, to love them all and not condemn, but to greet with an embrace. Amen. Thanks for joining with us. Hope you enjoyed it. And we look forward to welcoming you once again to Ararat Baptist Church. Oh, 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 oh,